to uh-huh okay to have a microphone what <laughs> what a privilege it is to play with the ryan wilkins and our other friends here uh i am a beginner at playing bass i picked up uh, my first bass guitar here um at age 60 and a half and <laughs> On my 61st birthday, I had my first gig playing at North Church with the band, and that was a privilege. This is my second gig, and I'm 63 now, so you can see that my bass career is not taking off. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just for fun anyway. I'm not really all that good. But uh, I'm, I'm also a beginner at Christianity in many ways. Yes, you know, I grew up as a generic Protestant and got my catechism in the Lutheran Church and so on. But the church just didn't hold anything for me at the time as I went off to college and started studying human evolution and whatnot. The church just didn't appeal to me, and I slipped into agnosticism, meaning I didn't know whether or not there was a God, and then slipped further into complete atheism, denying the existence of God. And that is where I stayed for about 30 years of my adult life. Now, what turned that around was that uh, I'm a professor at OSU, and we had a panel discussion on evolution and faith. And I was supposed to be the atheist on the panel. So I started thinking about all this. I thought, well, you know, how am I going to disprove God? Well, I'm a scientist. I can't disprove God. And I went through step by step by step in the weeks ahead of this panel discussion. And before I got there, I, I had rethought. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about God for many, many years, or 30 years. But just having to think about it, having to concentrate on it, led me back to faith. I decided... Okay, I, I had this wrong vision of God to begin with. There was this idea of, you know, this bearded guy up in the clouds. And I, I realized God's much more than that, much, much more than that. And so I came back to faith, but I didn't come back to church until a few years later. Oh, it's been, I don't know, eight years now. Um, my son was going to North Church, which, by the way, is where I met Ryan. And uh, they were going to go on a mission trip to El Salvador. And he needed a chaperone. And so he had a friend who was going to chaperone for him. And I said, no, I'll go. <laughs> and uh, my son said, Dad, you're an atheist. You can't go on a mission trip. I said, I, I'm not an atheist anymore. I came back to faith. I just hadn't come back to Christianity. So I, I went with him to North Church a couple times. And then we went on this mission trip, and I got into the church there, and I just saw a whole different vision of church. It wasn't like the church I had been brought up in. These people were passionate about their faith, although they had not much in the way of you know, physical possessions. They had strong faith, and I could just feel it. And so that was fairly transformational. Uh, the next year I went back on a second trip, and um, that moved me enough that when I came back, I got baptized at North Church. And then, um, you know, I, I, never, I never thought I'd want to go to church. Uh, 
because I don't like organized religion. So North Church was perfect because it was disorganized religion. And, but uh, because of that, the church eventually fell apart. And I uh, started searching out for another church. And so I came to uh, Central City to hear Ryan. And Ryan was on vacation that week. But, but I thought it would be rather rude of me. Joe introduced himself to me. And I thought it would be rather rude of me to walk out just because Ryan isn't here. And so I stayed. And uh, then I came back the next week when Ryan was playing. And I started looking around and listening to uh, the sermons and looking at the people around me. And, you know, I just decided, you know, this is my church. I'm going to stay. And so that's why I'm here today. Now, um, faith is a journey. I'm still on a journey. And I'm still learning. And I'm still learning how to play bass. But because I have this here guitar right now, I'm going to try something. This might not work, <laughs> but I'm going to try. I told him I'm an amateur. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I forgot. I also had a verse here. Um, I was supposed to read I'm probably over time, but he says it's okay. I, I did have a verse. One of my favorite um, uh, Bible verses is from Matthew 7, 13 to 14. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Well, I'm on that journey to find it, and I believe that God squeezed me through that narrow gate via El Salvador and via North Church and now via Central City. So uh, thank you very much. To do. Uh, today, uh, we're going to spend a few moments giving you an update on our anti-racism statement. And uh, this morning... Um, I was reading through it and reflecting on uh, some goals that we set a year ago. And uh, while I was doing that, I was listening to this really great group called a Common Hymn Hymnal. Um, it's a really diverse group that does a combination of praise and protest and justice. And uh, if you're interested in a mix of uh, Christianity and justice, it's a great little group to, to listen to. You can find them on your streaming services. And uh, one of them was a, a, it wasn't really a song. It was a pastor that's preaching and spoken word with music. Anyways, I, 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 I was listening to this, and I just felt like um, considering what we're going to be talking about in a second, I wanted to share this uh, little video with you. Uh, this is, um, uh, so go ahead and play that. Until you walk by the pain of Calvary and catch a glimpse in the sunlight of the lynching tree, 
Crosses and lynching, lynching and crosses, crosses, lynching, lynching crosses. Threads of the same torture shaped by empires in love with eagles and arrows, myths of superiority and fearful of bodies kissed by nature's sun. This is where the blues inform and take chords from plantations and recast them by men named Thomas, sisters named Mahalia, who holler, precious Lord. But America takes the hand, choosing to pick strange fruits swinging from southern trees. What is this gospel you profess that diminishes democratic breath? Say it again. Prosperity, cause, name it and claim it. Your season is coming. Throw your gift on the altar. Destiny has me. This is not the gospel, but capitalism masquerading in ecclesiastical garments, forcing people to bow down to the golden calf of predatory self-interest. What is this gospel that worships West weapons, ignores pain, celebrates exclusion, pats Mr. Patriarchy on the shoulder, and tramples upon the dreams of children yet to be free? Oh, I see, say, can you see? By the dawn's early light, the gospel that wears blue but does not know the blues, a gospel of knees pressing on throats, arms crushing windpipes, and shots fired in Rihanna's bedroom. Reverend George Floyd preached against this heresy 22 times with his only sermon, I Can't Breathe, taken from the book of Black Lives, chapter 1619. It is where the black church, the only black church with a call but no response, where Emmett, Michael, and Trayvon lead the praise and sorrow team with little Timir, giving one part harmony from the children's choir. What gospel is this? God has never ordained of racial myths, dreams of superiority, where a melanated savior is decolorized in order to colonize a church with no compassion, a ministry with no fire, preaching with no justice, a choir with no power, and people with no direction. America's gospel is not preached by a dark-skinned Palestinian Jew or taught by black prophets named Moses nor Mary. America's gospel fears the rebel alliance of love, justice, power, and possibility. America's gospel cannot face the blues nor stare at Calvary. America does not know the gospel, nor ever preached it. This gospel I speak of, the gospel of the one I talk about, this gospel of true power, the real gospel that allows Harriet to run, gave Sojourner her truth, the gospel that allowed Frederick to speak and Nat to fight, the gospel that made Ida well and Martin the King, this gospel made from the chords of the blues and sorrows of blues people, this gospel has power to break chains and set the oppressed free, this gospel does not see different as deficient culture, as a problem, gender, as weakness, brokenness, as permanent creation, as a personal ownership, this gospel, this blue note gospel will face tragedy and will not fall into despair. This gospel, this good news still believes in dreams unfulfilled, strength to be revealed, hopes to be born. This gospel, this gospel, I walk by the one, is walked and taught by one, a colonized brother who taught by a sea in Galilee, shared a message long, long before I was born. 
a gospel. That is not American. But America must come to face. A gospel America has never preached, but must one day face. Almost exactly one year ago, we gathered outside of the chapel in the woods over at Northwest UMC along the river, if you remember, and members of our board read the, our anti-racism statement. I didn't write it. I contributed to it. Uh, Heather Howell uh, helped organize it. Heather's here. when she, uh, she was on the board last year. And Ryan Place, and on behalf of our board, we got input from members of our community, some of them here. Uh, here's what it says. It's, um, it's not soft, but, uh, but bold and... Um, Here are the words we put together. As Christians committed to loving our neighbors, the pursuit of justice, and the importance of rejecting evil in whatever forms they present themselves, which is a commitment we make at baptism, we at Central City condemn racism and the racist policies that plague our nation and have led to the persistent violence and exclusion of experienced by black, indigenous people of color. Such bigotry has most recently led to the killings of our black brothers and sisters, including Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain, George Floyd, and too many others. Systemic racism and police brutality have gone on too long in America. We repent of the way we have contributed and benefited from these realities. As Psalm 82.2.4 says, enough. You've corrupted justice long enough. You've let the wicked get away with word, murder. You're here to defend the defenseless, to make sure that underdogs get a fair break. Your job is to stand up for the powerless and prosecute all those who exploit them. Instead of being a force of justice, uh, the American church has often reinforced, supported, and enabled systemic racism in America through support of policing, uh, support of policy, and theology contrary to the witness of Scripture. Going forward, we are committed to broadening our response to systemic injustice towards uh, black indigenous people of color. We are devoted to promoting justice, practicing repentance, and embodying racial reconciliation within our community, practicing and modeling our commitment to diversity in all we say and do, and supporting citywide efforts to address racism at both a systemic and personal level. This does not come without challenge, as not only is our church majority white, but so is the community of Grandview and Fifth by Northwest and many of the communities we live in. With this in mind, we commit to lean on the best practices of black Christian leaders in Columbus while doing our part to step up and stand against historic systemic racism. So considering this, there's a long statement. We like our words. Considering this, we commit to. Um, Here were a couple of goals, and I think I have some slides for this. Um, First one was uh, to spearhead and support the formation of the Grandview Anti-Racism Initiative and take part in citywide diversity, equity, and inclusion networks. Our goal is to have a diverse-led organization formed by January 2021. So one of our goals was to really support a DEI group in the Grandview area. So this is something I've been able to spend some time on over the last year. Um, And uh, really for the last year, myself and some members of our church and members of the community have been able to form GAIN, which stands for Grandview Anti-Racism and Inclusion Network. And um, we've um, 
been doing a number of different things. We've been able to offer uh, some training. So we've hosted conversations with various leaders. We had this great little conversation with uh, someone who organizes pint-sized protesters. If you're interested in a conversation on how to engage children in the work. Uh, had a really fascinating uh, podcast. This is all available on our website, by the way, with the organization called Move to Prosper, talking about housing inequality and uh, some of the research that's around that. But one of the things we're working on right now is actually regard uh, source of income uh, discrimination. And so this is something that you may or may not be aware of, but I think it's an opportunity for us to all learn. Something I didn't know about, but I've had to learn about. Uh, there are a number of communities in the wider area that discriminate against people based on their source of income. So for example, Grandview is one of these places. Um, we, our team, uh, uh, someone by the name of Michelle Kozak, who's part of GAIN, uh, called up landlords representing 100 apartments in Grandview. And she asked a number of questions, kind of surveying these various apartments in Grandview. And um, of the 100 apartments that these landlords represented, 70 of them had apartments that would qualify for uh, rental assistance, or what we call Section 8 vouchers, if you're familiar with rental assistance. So 70 of them would qualify. Zero would, would accept those as a form of income or a form of payment for their rent. So... Um, we identify a real problem here. So our team has been putting together a conversation, and uh, we, we had the opportunity to go and present the Grandview uh, City Council. Uh, I didn't actually say anything. Um, I know you're surprised. But, uh, uh, but members of our team did in support of source of income uh, legislation. Many of you live in other communities, and I just want to let you know that Bexley, Westerville, Reynoldsburg, and Worthington have all recently passed ordinances to prevent this form of discrimination. And uh, so we're hoping that Grandview and then other communities like Upper Arlington and uh, other suburbs in the area, uh, Columbus, of course, already has it passed, uh, will do it as well. So uh, today, if you're looking for an action step, you can actually add your name to it. We've gotten over 100 signatures. Uh, 84 of them are Grandview residents, um, but I think we've gotten probably 130 or so. It's on the website. There's a way you can do it on paper. Alyssa's is holding up a thing at the end of the service. If you if you if you were in support of having an ordinance that would protect people, the reality is, friends, this is deeply connected to what we do. You know, we, we serve through Little Bottoms Free Store families that the majority of them receive rental assistance. So the reality is people we serve at Little Bottoms can't rent in Grandview because there's not legislation or ordinances to protect them. They could potentially, you know, given their circumstances and their situation, go to Bexley, Worthington, these other communities because there's, leg there's ordinances that would protect their source of income. The, the form of income, but they, they can't Grandview. So here, here we are, a church in Grandview that serves people in other parts of the community, and there's this real uh, barrier. And uh, so if you're a supporter of that, you can sign it. Honestly, though, I know those people just love paper, and you, that's why I have it. But if you go to the website, it's so much easier for me because I can copy and paste your name instead of transcribing it. Just a little logistical thing. But Grandview.com, uh, gaingrandview.com slash SOI is, is the thing. And I've really spent the last... Um, um, month, because of this commitment that our board put together, I, I've probably spent 10 to 20% of my time on this work. Um, and uh, it's been really interesting. Um, Michael Neal was uh, uh, here, and we were working on it together. And then Michael is now contributing to the group that's focused on the school system. Um, and um, I'm hearing some good things there. But over the last year, I'm just even thinking some of our early conversations, Michael. I was like, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And uh, I don't 100% remember your advice, but it did help. And uh, um, I didn't go to school for this. 
you know what I mean? Uh, I didn't. I don't have a. I've never been a political person. I was raised in a white Christian family where politics was not a part of your faith, right? Like, don't be political. Um, I mean, people, people in my old circles of Christianity would like walk out, you know, if I was like had a petition and mentioned in worship. But as we've been on a journey together, and as I've been on my own journey wrestling with this um, and trying to learn, I've realized that um, in the spirit of the prophets, in the spirit of the Psalms, and in the spirit of the Proverbs, there, there is no separation between the two. That God has called us to be um, people that usher in God's kingdom here on earth. We just prayed it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we're here and we're like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't look like heaven. This feels a lot more like hell at times. Maybe not for me, but for other people. Then it's like, okay, no, we need to engage in healthy and honest and loving discourse uh, to produce change and to, to fight against discrimination. So this is something that's been really new for me. The second goal, though, is uh, to present non-white voices to our congregation on Sunday mornings in the form of guest preachers, interviews, testimonies, worship, music industry, etc., uh, music ministry, etc. The goal is to have diverse voices scheduled in worship at least monthly, uh, at least monthly by June 2021. So this is something that we've struggled with a little bit, um, uh, not for lack of trying. Um, I've reached out to my circle of influence and various leaders and pastors and have made various invitations as best that I can. And we've had a few voices shared. Um, we've had a few guest preachers and a few conversations, but not nearly monthly. Um, and, uh, but, but I've also realized that this is a, a bit problematic, that, that maybe we didn't quite get the right goal here, that our language isn't quite right. Uh, it could um, become nothing more than a performative justice or uh, um, uh, uh, there's a, another word that I'm looking for. Tokenism. Yeah, it could easily become that. I don't think that's our intent when we wrote it. Um, we really want to learn from diverse voices, but, it, you know, it, it can be tricky. And we wanted to have very specific goals that had timelines. That was a, a contribution. I'll sell her out. Heidi, I think she's watching online, I saw. So thanks, Heidi, for that. So we had specific goals tied to specific timelines, and, um, but they could be problematic. One of the things that we've had the opportunity to do, I think it might be the next slide with Robert Caldwell. Is he up there somewhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things we did do is we entered into a, a coaching relationship with Robert Caldwell. He's a local uh, Christian leader who focuses on multi-ethnic IQ training as well as poverty uh, education. And myself, I've been able to spend an hour with him every month for the last like five, six months. And then we have a team of leaders, board members, staff, other leaders who've been working with him monthly as well. So together I see him twice a month and we have conversations around this. And one of the things that I've realized is... Um, that having diverse voices up front is, is, a, is, a, is a great hope, a great vision, but there's deeper issues at play that we need to work through. And one of the deeper issues is really just becoming a place where, where everyone's safe to share up front, where we kind of break down this idea that church is, you know, me and Ryan uh, doing a, a performance, but more about it being a community and where all of our voices are able to be uh, uh, equal participants and really kind of deconstructing some of the traditional ways that we've done church. So really kind of one of the ways we're living into this goal, quite honestly, is by every week we're having a spot where someone can share their story. Anyone, anyone who wants to share their story so we can allow multiple voices and perspectives. And I really believe in this. I, I believe that... Um, um, we need all of our perspectives and all of our vantage points to really understand who God is. 
that, that God is so big that when we have another, it's like, you know, like a, they, they did it for Google Maps in this space where you bring in this camera and it like takes pictures of the whole space and then you can move around it. Like I feel like that's what happens when we have multiple testimonies is we offer these different perspectives, these different lenses, and when we put them all together, we're like, oh, I kind of understand God better, but we need all of those. So just creating a space where lots of different voices are allowed is actually one of the deeper issues that we as a church are trying to work through. The other one is just being a community where everyone's welcome, where we embrace the mess of community. That's why on the first Sunday of every month, we're not going to have a, a a sermon. We'll do uh, some songs. We'll do communion together, and then we'll be in communion with each other. So we're planning these community Sundays where the service will be closer to 20 minutes to a half hour. There won't be City Kids programming, but there'll be activities. Like uh, first Sunday in October, we're going to have a little service in here, and then outside, weather permitting, uh, we'll have some coffee and pumpkins and pumpkin decorating, and it'll just be, you know, like you, could, you can do that, or you can just hang out. But it's an opportunity for us to really kind of Think about what it means to be church differently. And this is 100% from uh, the coaching of, of Robert Caldwell. And for those in the group know some of the conversations we had about that. The third goal is this. Um, to develop a relationship with a predominantly black congregation and or black-led congregation and follow their lead on what it might look like to support and be in collaboration with them in ministry. The goal is to have this coordination, uh, collaboration articulated by June 2021. This one's actually on pause, similarly to the other one, um, this goal, because, because we wrote this, and then we started working with Robert, and we're in an 18-month journey with Robert Caldwell, and uh, one of the end results might be this kind of thing, but we're not rushing it, and he's coaching us through the process, and we're learning as we go along. And so um, right now, for example, our class, uh, the, the group that's doing this, has been tasked with interviewing people that are different racially, ethnically, socioeconomically. We're, we're, and it's just like so hard to do right now, especially with COVID. Anyone in the class actually get it done? Oh, Denise, you're such a good job. I won't sell Jeremy out, but I know I didn't. <laughs> I, I have a couple people who said they would love to be interviewed, but I haven't been able to schedule it. So this is baby steps in that direction where we're learning as a smaller group, and then eventually we'll be sharing that um, with uh, other people. The statement goes on to say this. You can take that down if you want. Um, as we move forward, uh, we must remember to live out these words from Isaiah 1.17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Thank you for being a part of our church family at Central City. We extend the peace of Christ to all those who are suffering and grieve alongside the victims of racial violence and their loved ones. In Christ's name, Central City Leadership Board. That was our racism statement uh, with those goals that we articulated just almost exactly a year ago because uh, on the 17th, this coming week, um, we'll celebrate uh, one, uh, four years as a church, and we, we shared this statement at our three-year anniversary. So in the spirit of being a community and uh, me learning to let go, um, it's a journey, I want to open it up for uh, questions or comments around this work or uh, what we're doing. I might not have an answer, but maybe someone else will.
Yeah, with the first, like the second and third goal sort of just being on pause. Yeah, I, I can't say for sure. I haven't talked this through with Robert, um, so I'm sharing this all with you just from my own perspective. But um, I imagine that it's a little bit of both. Um, we'll probably articulate the goals slightly differently and um, reflecting what we've learned and experienced through the, the training that we've had um, that make the most sense. So we'll, we'll figure that out. But, I mean, for now, they still exist, and they've been really useful in uh, creating a sense of urgency with my time allotment um, as we've pursued these things and realizing, like, at the beginning, we set these goals, and we wanted them not to be just a statement that we left behind, and just a lot of people were making statements, quite frankly. Um, there's been some statements that I've been involved in, in in other settings where they made very bold statements that honestly didn't produce any change and were zero amount of follow-up. So we wanted there to be goals that would really that we had to be held accountable to. And even though I feel like they, our goals might change or we haven't accomplished them, you know, like we've worked really hard in that direction. And we've spent time every week. I've spent time every week. And we've talked about it as a staff and stuff. Um, so I'm really grateful for it um, as we kind of figure out what the best way to accomplish those things and or whether we should. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it'll probably be both and, which is my answer for most things. Other questions? Comments? Yeah, Denise. Denise is the interim director of Little Bottoms Free Store. Little Bottoms Free Store is a ministry that uh, takes place in Franklinton, serves families all over central Ohio. And you're absolutely right. I mean, Denise, over the last couple of weeks, have been discussing with me ways in which, uh, based on some feedback we got from Julie Moore, who's also part of our community, ways in which we can make some of our signage at Little Bottoms more inclusive. And so she's trying to figure out which, like, top three languages to include. And um, because of so many nationalities from Africa. We might have French and, of course, Spanish, and there might be a few other languages. I mean, that represents, like, the community that's coming through Little Bottom. So one of the, as we kind of articulate goals of what it means to overcome uh, the barriers, uh, absolutely we want to talk about that uh, and figure out what that looks like for us. I will say that we're working on one of our community Sundays, and I don't know if it'll be this year or in 2022, but one of our community Sundays, that first Sunday of the month, we're actually going to meet at Little Bottoms, and we'll do volunteer there as a church after a brief service, you know, song and, and communion and uh, we'll have uh, we'll figure it out where it's kid friendly and and all of that but it'll be a really fun way to be a community that way but there's probably a lot more that we can do to uh, bridge the gap and if you haven't been um to volunteer i, I highly recommend it uh, denise and then whoever we end up hiring for the future director does a great job of, of, of first-time volunteers and I, I i highly recommend going at least once it's a it's an experience yeah If you're willing to volunteer Thursday night, if you just want to raise your hand, that seems to work really well here. Grant will. <laughs> just kidding. Any other questions or comments? 
All right, I want to just spend the last couple minutes, um, we are going to finish our series on Philippians uh, today. Uh, next week, we're going to start a new series. Uh, we're going to be looking at some tough Old Testament passages. So uh, we're going to, it was supposed to be really kind of during the Halloween season, but it didn't work out. So we're going to do it uh, ne- starting next week, but we're going to be looking at some Old Testament passages that tend to be a little violent, and we're going to spend some time reflecting on those. Some of them are like so over the top that it's going to be humorous, and others are very serious. So I will warn you, if you're a parent with kids, we will be looking at some R-rated Old Testament passages next week, and uh, so I encourage uh, kids to be at Children's Church, I feel like uh, most of them are anyways. Um, We'll try to keep it PG, but the stories themselves are really difficult. So that's where we're going to start next week. Uh, Today, I want to read just a couple of final verses of Philippians um, and just share, um, just in the next four minutes, a real brief devotional to bring our time with Philippians to a close. Before we do that, though, I just want to pray. Um, I just I want to ask God to kind of bless the work that we're doing and continue to guide us and allow us to learn and to uh, put ourselves in a place where we can um, uh, be a part of building God's kingdom here. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and uh, Lord, you know our hearts. You know my heart. Um, God, I just I ask for forgiveness of the places in which I've fallen short, um, where I've um, messed up where I've not done my part and um, ask that you would continue to guide us. Um, I give you thanks for the the people that you've uh, put around me and around our church and those who are investing um, in this community for their hearts and for the ways in which your uh, spirit is guiding us into a place of justice. We can be um, a positive force in this world and make this place uh, more like the world you, you wanted it to be. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got four verses I want to read for you, um, and I'll share a couple of thoughts. Um, Philippians uh, chapter 4. This is uh, a letter that Paul wrote. We've spent some time uh, over the last couple weeks, most of the summer, in Philippians, and so this is kind of going to bring it to a close. But Philippians chapter 4, just verses 10 through 23. There's a few verses after this uh, that we're not going to get to today. Um, uh, Paul's talking about uh, to the Philippians in those verses. You can read them for yourself, uh, the gift that he received from them. And, um, and he's kind of alluding to that in these verses as well. I want to look at these verses because they're very popular verses, and they probably don't mean what you thought they meant. So here they are, uh, Philippians 4.10. Uh, it says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Again, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Just pause there for a second and be honest about something. You've heard this verse before. It's been mistranslated for you. You might have it on your wall in the kitchen where it says, I could do all things through him who gives me strength. That's not what this verse says. What this verse says is I can do all of this that I just talked about because God gives me strength to do it. So let's go back one verse. I don't think, yeah, if you just go back one. This is what he's saying. I can do this because God gave me strength. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in what. Here's my question for you. 
What's your five-year plan? You got one? Where do you want to see, where do you see yourself in five years? Do you imagine yourself wealthier or poorer in that five-year plan? Have you thought about it? There's really kind of like, most of us have probably thought about it. There are a whole group of Christians. I don't think it probably represents our community too much, but it might. Um, it's been me at times. I've really romanticized the idea of poverty as it relates to faith. So there are times where I just thought the, the most Christian thing you could do was go to a poor hut in another country and live there. And like that, you know, like that was what it meant to be a Christian. And I, I still, you know, that's like, that's my foundation of my faith. And so there's a whole group of Christians throughout the history of Christianity that their goal, their five-year plan was to become more and more poor. Okay. There's many of us though, that are at a different place where when I think about where I'm headed, specifically financially, um, my goal is to kind of have a little bit more money than I do right now. If I'm honest with you. Now you don't have to be honest with yourself that maybe that's not your goal. I'm telling you right now, that's my goal. And I'll be honest with you. I'm just very briefly, this, this is the, the most comfortable me and Lissa have ever been in our lives. Um, we've, we've never been this comfortable financially. And I feel a little guilty about it. I grew up with one of seven kids on a, a pastor's salary. I, I, found, I figured out so many different ways to eat mac and cheese. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? You, you know, ketchup. If you haven't had ketchup on mac and cheese, then you don't know what I'm talking about, right? Ramen noodles, bottom in bulk. My mom also did a great job of buying a bunch of stuff in bulk and cooking homemade meals, but she couldn't do that all the time. So a lot of mac and cheese, a lot of ramen noodles. I mean, this is how I grew up. I didn't go to, we didn't go to restaurants. You you can't take seven kids to a restaurant. I should be honest with you. Like, that's a wedding party, you know? Like, that's, that's way too much, way too much money. So this is how I grew up, and, and, um, you know, and then we decided to plant a church, and we cut our salary in half in order to do that, and, and then right at the same time, we had a kid, and all of a sudden, we realized we needed child care, and I don't know if you know this, but child care is very expensive. Even affordable child care is very expensive. Now, Finn's in public school, <laughs> and you know how much that changes your budget? I'm like, have we felt that yet, Alyssa? Is that? She's like, we'll feel it next month, um, but... Uh, uh, I mean, we're, we had affordable, relatively affordable childcare at like 260 a week. People were like, well, stop drinking, stop eating out, or stop doing Netflix. So that's, that's not. Yeah, it went up to 290. 290. So over the last couple of years, like trying to cover, you know, get Finn in childcare and all of these types of expenses and a fixer upper and, and taking a pay cut and all that sort of stuff, I mean, we were struggling. But now we find ourselves in a really comfortable place where, you know, for the most part, I don't run things by Alyssa. Before I buy them, you know you've arrived. When you're just like, I'm just going to eat out. I'm not checking with my wife first. I'm getting McDonald's. I shouldn't. I never, I always regret it. Whew. There's a few other places that are better. I do got to be honest with you. It's not easier to be content. Here's what I love about this passage. I'm going to leave you with this. Paul's like, my goal is never to be richer or to be poor. He had a different goal entirely. You can read the rest of his letters to figure out what that goal is. His goal was to do whatever was necessary to usher God's kingdom here on earth as a missionary, as a church planner. And, you know, you might not like Paul's personality. I know some people struggle with it. That's fine. But he had a mission, and he gave himself to it. And his goal wasn't, okay, I'm going to accumulate this much of wealth or I'm going to sacrifice this. Those were peripheral. He said, it doesn't matter whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. My main goal, my passion, and my focus is doing whatever it takes to follow God. And he says, you know, I can do this only because 
of what God does through me. So I do want you to ask yourself, and I want you to wrestle with this as we kind of bring this series to an end. What's your five-year goal? What's your 10-year goal? And can you articulate something that's a little bit more profound than, than your budget, than where you're at financially? Uh, the investment of your time and your energy and your relationships and the change that you hope to bring in the world. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks for your word and for the ways in which you continue to challenge us. Help us to understand. Help us to hear. Give us ears to hear. And give us the ability to change. God, I just ask a special blessing on us um, and on on this community that you'd continue to work in and through us. Um, We give you thanks for this space here at St. Luke's and for the ways in which you've opened it up for us. And um, we're really grateful. Give us the courage to step out in faith, to pursue your will for our lives, whatever that might mean. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite you guys to stand for our uh, closing song. Mm-hmm.